just a reminder that we can't take it with us. Our November series begins today as we make the turn toward Thanksgiving and Christmas. Can you guys believe that it's uh, that time of year already? I say that every year, but this year it's really surprising. You know, and with the spending season upon us, Kim and I were just planning, doing our calendaring uh, yesterday uh, in between ball games and kind of lounging at the house. And uh, we, you know, we're, we're turning our attention to budgeting for Christmas and the holidays. And uh, we decided to put that off to another day. But uh, we were having such a great weekend already. But, you know, why ruin it? Um, but uh, the spending season is upon us for sure. And I thought we would take a few weeks here to just look at God's perspective uh, on money and material possessions. Uh, As you can see behind me, I've entitled this series, You Can't Take It With You. Uh, Today's message uh, is called Unhitching the U-Haul. Evidently, nobody uh, told Bill Stanley uh, that he couldn't take it with him. Uh, He's an Ohio man whose final wish was to be buried astride his 1967 classic Harley Davidson. That's Bill there. He's dead. Took three embalmers, the article said, to pull off that work of art. He's ready for burial in a see-through casket. This is not something you see in church every Sunday. He and his motorcycle were lowered by crane into an extra-large grave in a cemetery right there in Ohio. I'm sure his kids were thrilled to see that $50,000 Harley lowered into the ground. You know, you may not plan to be buried with your riches, but if you're not careful, your riches can bury you. You can't take it with you. The Scripture is absolutely clear about that. Let me ask you something. What if all your money were taken away from you today? All your material possessions taken away from you today. All that you hold dear, would your faith sustain you? Would your faith sustain you? I think quite honestly, at least in all the men's groups that I've been part of for the past 28 years or so, I've discovered that this is every man's greatest fear, to fail financially. To lose what they have and to let their family down. There's so much pressure in this culture to make it and to hold on to what you've got. If you lost it all today, would your faith sustain you? You know, that's exactly what happened to Job. We talked a little bit about Job last week. But I want to bring him into the conversation today. As you go to Job chapter 1, I mean right out of the gate, the first 20 verses of the book of Job, in one day, 
Job lost everything. In one day, he lost his, li- his livestock. He lost his servants. He lost all of his children. All of his material possessions. And in verse 20 of Job 1, this is Job's response. At this, at losing it all. Job got up and he tore his robe And he shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. And you came into this world with nothing, and you'll leave with nothing. That's biblical. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. This right on the heels of losing it all. Of course, God knew that Job was likely the most faithful man on the face of the earth. That's why he gave the enemy permission to take it all. And God, that we would respond that way. It's a tall order. Job's faith sustained him. His faith was not in the material Not even in his family. Don't miss that. That's difficult. Man, I struggle with that. Not not idolizing my family above the Lord. But Job's faith wasn't in his money. It wasn't in his possessions. It wasn't in his children. It wasn't in his family. He placed his trust in the Lord. And ultimately, God rewarded his faith. If you know where that story goes. Where's your trust this morning? Where's your trust today? Really? Where's my trust today? Is it in your 401k? Hold on for the ride. Your stocks? The equity in your home or homes? Is your trust in an inheritance that may one day come your way? Where is your trust? Solomon was the richest and the wisest man to ever live. And he made the mistake, ultimately, of placing his trust in the wrong place. But listen to his words in Proverbs 23. Solomon says this. He says, cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and they will fly off to the sky like an eagle. Let me ask you something. Are you glancing at the material or is your gaze fixed upon it? When we traveled to Haiti and to Guatemala, two of the poorest countries in the world, that's why we've chosen to invest in those communities. We spend time with Families, and many of you here this morning have have been part of this as we go from home to home in these poor villages in Haiti and Guatemala. But we spend time with families who for generations have never had much of anything. They, They don't know what it would even mean to have anything. They fight and they scratch and they claw just to eat for the next meal, to clothe their children, for everything they have. And yet their faith is clearly at a different level than most of ours. 
I mean, it's crystal clear. Those of you who have been, it's like, man, these folks got nothing. But they seem to trust the Lord. Their faith sustains them. Their joy is contagious. I saw this this video this week. Uh, Francis Chan has, has a new book out. And it's really all about Christianity and our culture today and what it's become. And he talked about, he painted his picture of, man, what would these people across the world think if they looked at the American church and, and it, it takes, you know, a, a professional band, it takes the right lighting, it takes, you know, the best communicator on the face of the earth to draw people in, to just to get them to come to church to worship God for an hour a week. And you take those things away and the people don't come anymore. What kind of faith is that? And he painted that picture. And it is so true. These folks don't go to church to be entertained. These folks go to church to worship the only hope they have. Jesus. Who gave it all. That we might find life. We forget that. It's all about us. It's all about being a consumer. Picking and choosing what's going to be best. Instead of just coming and surrendering everything we have to Him and telling Him how worthy He is. And these families that we visit, their joy is contagious. Their worship is authentic. Humbling, I'll be honest with you. I've been to these communities, I don't know, 12, 15 times. And I'm just humbled every time I go. I mean, it's like there's almost a deficiency that sets in. It's like, doggone, what am I doing? Their prayer is earnest. It's not rote. When they thank God for their food, when they sit down to eat... They thank God for their food. Man, where are we? Jesus is their hope. <laughs> See, that's the difference. He is our hope, but, but, but we got a whole lot that gets in the way of remembering that. Jesus is their hope. They have nothing else to hang their hope on. We think we do. We think we can secure our own future. We can't secure our future. Job couldn't secure his earthly future. You never really know how much you trust God until he's all you have. Some of you have been there. Some of you might be there right now. You never really know how much you trust God until He's all you have. How focused are you on your finances and the accumulation of wealth? Nothing wrong with that. Unless that is your primary focus. Some of you here today, man, you're gifted in that arena. You know how to make money. I've met a lot of people over the years whom God, Christians, whom God has given the gift of giving. 
And with the gift of giving often comes the gift of gaining. The gift of, of making a lot of money. And if God gives you the gift of giving, He intends for you to take that gain and invest it in His kingdom. He has a purpose and a plan for the wealth that He is bringing into your life. And it's not just about you. Ultimately, it's about the thing that matters most, and that is His kingdom. Bringing other people to Christ. Bringing other people ultimately to heaven. Wealth easily consumes. And if you're not careful, growing it, maintaining it, and protecting it becomes your first priority. Some of your empty nesters, you know, Kim and I are empty nesters. I mean, they, the birds pop in every now and then, you know, and you just never know when they're going to be and the nest going to get full again. It's like, what happened? But, you know, if suddenly you find yourself and you're just kind of rattling around in this house that used to hold five or six people. What do you do with that? Well, you maintain it. <laughs> you protect it. And then one day you wake up and go, you know, I'm not sure I need all this anymore. That's why Jesus spoke more about money and material possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. It's unbelievable as you thumb through the Gospels how much Jesus talked about money and possessions. He knew the power of wealth and he knew with it comes the lure of self-sufficiency. He knew that our focus on the material easily distracts and even derails us from what matters most. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is approached, some of you are familiar with this, pas with this passage of Scripture, He's approached by a wealthy young man from a ruling family, the rich young ruler. This guy knew the commandments. He was in Sunday school as a boy. He worshipped weekly. He was well connected to his faith community. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus, what do I need to do to gain salvation here? He didn't realize it was a gift that Jesus ultimately would give him. And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? He's laying a foundation. No one is good except God alone. So you're not going to get there by your goodness, Jesus says. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You should honor your mother and father. And then the, 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 the ruler says, well, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I'm good, man. I'm checking the boxes. I'm killing it on this stuff. No, you're not. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus is saying this to him. Not to everybody. To him. He says, you still lack one thing. I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Jesus knew his heart in the same way he knows our hearts. Jesus knew that he was casting more than just a glance at his riches. That they had become an idol in his life. 
that he loved his wealth more than he loved his God. So he gave him an opportunity to lay that idol down. What did he do? In Matthew's version of this story, Matthew tells us that when the young man heard this, he went away sad. One translation said his face fell. What, you're kidding me, right? I mean, I've followed all these rules. I've done all this right. I've tried to be a good person. And you're telling me that I need to sell everything that I have in order to go to heaven? Uh-uh. Can't do it. He walked away because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? And let me tell you, everybody in this room, I would venture to say, in the standards of this world today, we're wealthy. So I, I, I'm not talking to a select few people here. I'm talking to every single one of us, myself included. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because faith is all about where we place our trust, and our dependence. Where are you placing your trust? And what are you depending on for your security this morning? Where am I placing my trust? What am I depending on for my future security this morning? It's hard. It's coming at us every day. The bills don't stop. The mortgage has got to be paid. Those kids want to go to college. It never stops. It is in front of us every single day. Jesus knew that. And He knew it's going to be hard to manage this. And unless you are absolutely intentional about fixing your eyes on me, the author and protector of your faith, you're going to fall into this. Jesus said, In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, he said, Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, what a visual, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished. Because the rich and the powerful in that day, just like today, man, everybody wants to be them. Everybody wants to have what they have. They're at the top of the heap. The disciples were astonished. And they said, well, then who can be saved? I mean, if those perfect people can't, who can't? And Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible. It's not about that. It's not about what you can do. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow. You know, Peter impetuous Peter. He's like, hey, wait a minute. I left it all. I left my fishing boat. I left every material possession that I had, Jesus, to follow you. Then what's there going to be for us? What are we going to get? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, family, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, 
will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be what? Last. And many who are last will be what? First. God's economy is not our economy. The world values wealth. The world values power, self-sufficiency. The Lord values faith, humility, and dependence on Him and Him alone. What we do with our money and possessions is an indication of what we value. You hear me? Track it. What you're doing with it is an indication of what you value. What do you value? Big nice stuff? I mean, I'm a sucker for a 70 inch TV. And I got a confession to make. I just bought one about a month ago. I'm right there with you. It's awesome. No, I'm just. <coughs> that Georgia game? Yes, no. Jesus in Matthew 6 put it this way. Again, what we do with our money and possessions is an indication of what we value. <laughs> Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where malls and rust or vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where malls and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? What you do with your money is an indication of where your heart is and what you value. Jesus goes on to say this in that same passage. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's like, what is he talking about? If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is he? In other words, focus on what will last, Jesus is saying, Set your gaze, set your eyes on what will last, not what will pass. Are you casting more than just a glance at riches? It's hard not to in this world today. Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Man, he draws a line right here. It's like you cannot straddle this thing. Man, I'm kind of a both and. No. Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me on this deal. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Money. He's just crystal clear. Black and white on this thing. You can serve God with your money, but you can't serve both God and money. And the reality is, you know, you, you don't have to have a lot of money to serve money. You understand what I'm saying? This is not about just people with a whole bunch of uh, extra money. You can be consumed by the fact that you don't have enough money. 
And I mean, there are probably more people that fall into that category than the ultra-wealthy folks. And Jesus addressed that too in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, when you're going to retire or how much you're going to have. Well, he didn't, they didn't have retirement back then. Or about your body or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about the stuff you have or don't have, he says. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They're not working hard at it. They're not storing away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them and provides for them. Are you not much more valuable than the birds of the air? Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Man, I'll tell you what, if I had every minute that I worried about money in my life back, I'd have another lifetime. It's right in front of us. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the fields grow? They're not laboring, they're not spinning. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, King Solomon in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus said, so don't worry, saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. That always gets me in that passage. I ask what the rest of the world's doing that don't know God. And then I still worry. I come by that honestly. Pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And all God's people said, Amen. When it comes to money and material possessions, God wants us to be rivers, not reservoirs. To allow all that He gives us to flow through us, not to be hoarded and held let me ask you something this morning as we draw to a close here. Where do you need to open the floodgates in your life today? Where do you need to give the kingdom your best? Your best. And trust Him with the rest. And that's relative for all of us. To how much God has blessed us with. And the reality is, as you thumb through the Scripture, this is the one and only area. The one and only area. How much we give to God is the one and only area that He gives us permission to test Him in. Everywhere else, do not test the Lord your God. In this area, He says, I want you, I want to, I want you to test me. See if I don't prove to be true in this. In Malachi chapter 3... And in the Old Testament model, it was, it was, it was the law. You, 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 you paid your tithe under the law. And so you brought your first fruits in to the temple and the storehouse and what have you. And that's what he's talking about here now. Now remember, 
as we move to the New Testament, we no longer pay God under the law. Man, we give to God under grace because of all that He's given to us in Christ Jesus. It's not law that motivates us. It's what Jesus has done. It's the cross that motivates us to give. So don't get tripped up on this language. God says this in Malachi 3. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, a biblical benchmark for giving, that there may be food in my house. And he's talking about the temple. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me. Bring it in. Give it to me. You can keep 90% of it, he said. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What a promise. And imagine what God could do with just these few if we were willing to surrender it all to Him. In the coming weeks... We're going to be launching our year-end giving campaign. We've been doing a here-and-there campaign for probably five or six years, I think. Um, We're going to be changing that a little bit this year. And it's going to be called the Imagine Campaign. The Imagine Campaign. Funding the future. The elders and I are going to be asking you to give sacrificially toward a big vision that we believe God is leading us into. I'm not going to go into that in greater detail this morning. I'll be sharing more details in the weeks to come. God wants us to be generous. Again, He wants us to be rivers and not reservoirs, to give to the kingdom, to give what He's doing, to see more and more people come to Christ. And spend an eternity with Him. Again, I'll share more in the weeks to come. But in the meantime, just remember, you can't take it with you. Let's bow our heads. Father, You are a great God. And Lord, as we look at the cross, we are reminded that there is absolutely no way that we could outgive you. Lord, you have given your all that we might find life. And Lord, let us not be those who look for life in other places. Lord, those who fix our eyes on wealth and riches. But Lord, let us be those who look for opportunities to pour into your kingdom that which you have so generously poured into our lives. Father, I'm preaching to every one of us today. Rich, poor, and in the middle. Lord, let not our possessions, our income, our wealth become a stumbling block, Lord, to finding life in Jesus. I pray that prayer in His name. Amen.